Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is, uh, it's great to be able to have our question time. We've had three weeks off from question time, and it's just terrific to be back into it now. Uh, how did I get your questions? Well, some of you scanned our little QR code, and that took you to a little page on your device, or you texted it, or you filled in one of our little Connect cards, and you can get access to one of those as you go in the front door. Uh, here they are. Here are the questions. And uh, Jacob, I do not have the clicker for some reason, but... I can sort of do the. It's up on the music stand. Okay, I'll, I'll be back. Here it is. You you wonder how the slides go from? I actually press a button on. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? Well, the first question is from uh, kind of related to last week, and that is: Is self care selfish? Now, why would you ask a question like this? It's because you've been listening very hard to Philippians chapter 2, which is what we heard last week preached by Jacob. And it was all about how Jesus was humble, and because of his humility, it then changes all the way that we have our relationships with each other and the way that we see ourselves as well. And so from that comes this question about the idea of self-help, namely whether or not it's selfish to do self-help, self-help to ourselves. And I think it comes back to the motivation. Are we doing self-help because we want to improve ourselves, because we just want to be better or happier or whatever it is? If that is our motivation, then you can see that's selfish. But if we're trying to care for ourselves so that we can care for others, then actually that, that's a really good reason for us to care for others. I mean, it sounds like a silly little thing, but if you're able to have enough sleep each night... Uh, because you're not disturbed by a baby or something like that. But if you're able to be up and have a proper sleep each night and have regular exercise and good diet and things like that and other stuff, that actually helps you to be in a stronger position to help others. That kind of self-care is really good. But if your self-care is at the expense of others, then that's not such a great idea. And sometimes we need to not care for ourselves in order to care for others. And the best example and the most amazing example, of course, was Jesus, who didn't care for himself because... He went to the cross and died for our sins. Question two, how can we help another Christian with their pride? Well, this also stems from the discussion about humility from last week. Uh, pride is everywhere. All of us are naturally pride, uh, naturally proud. And what we need to make sure we don't do is go around saying, oh, look how proud they are. I reckon I'm, I'm good enough to be able to fix them up. Uh, th that's a real problem. Uh, how do we do it? Well, we want others to be less proud. We want to be less proud. I think we did it last week. And that is we sat down and we looked at the gospel again, afresh, as we heard from Jacob preaching from Philippians chapter 2. We keep looking to Jesus. When we keep looking to Jesus and Jesus and Jesus, then what we do is we have the antidote to pride because we see in him the ultimate humility. Question three, if the Garden of Eden was so good, why was Adam lonely? Well, the Garden of Eden was good, and we keep hearing this in the first two chapters. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. But then we read this, chapter 2, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It's funny, isn't it? In the good, 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 very good Garden of Eden, there's something that's not good, and that is being alone. And so God fixed that. He actually gave him a companion in Eve. And that was even before things went badly, we see that in that time God gave a beautiful gift so that the humans would experience what he experienced, and that is relationship. Question four, 
Is it okay for a woman to lead a church service? Well, I think it's a good thing to do, and we do that here at our church, although it's, it seems just to be naturally happening more in the morning than it happens at night. Uh, we discussed these sorts of things recently as we looked at 1 Corinthians, and I think that service leading is close to the category of prophecy, and that's something that both men and women are seen to be doing as we gather together in church. And it's a good and a proper thing for women to be doing, provided a woman does it in such a way that recognises and submits to good order within the church. If you want to dig deeper into the thinking behind all of this, then there's a great book by Claire Smith called God's Good Design. Uh, if you'd like to also just think about 1 Corinthians, go and do a, a search on your favourite podcast channel and you'll find Jamboree Anglican there and you can listen to the sermons from 1 Corinthians where we talk about this. Question five, what should you do if God has forgiven you, but your friends haven't? Well, what matters most is that you are reconciled with God, isn't it? That's the most important thing. If you've done something wrong, you say to God, I'm sorry, and you know that he will forgive you. But maybe you've done something to hurt others, and they are not at the point yet where they want to forgive you. What do you do about that? Will you pray for them? You love them? And presumably you have already said sorry to them. Uh, you can't make them forgive you. And in fact, it may be the case that they never forgive you and it just is this difficult situation between you. That's not in your hands. Your hands is, uh, you have the ability to pray for them, to love them and to be patient for them, patient uh, as you wait for them. Question six, how long should we endure suffering? 1 Peter 2.20. Well, let's have a look at this one verse and see what it says. It says, of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Now, if you just read that one verse and you read up about being beaten up, you're thinking, what is this Bible saying? What we need to always do is we need to look at a verse in its context. I like look at the verses just before it and just after it, and then even further before it and further afterwards. If you did that, you would see that this little bit in 1 Peter is talking about what it means to submit to different authorities. And this particular one is submitting to the authority of a slave master, if you happen to be a slave. And it basically says, if you're a slave, then what you've got to do is you've got to submit to your slave master, because in doing so, you're submitting to the Lord. And you will actually, God will be pleased with you if you do that. But what does that mean for us today? We here in the Illawarra don't have exactly the same situation as the slavery in the first century Greece or Rome. We have a kind of a parallel in that we as employees need to do what our bosses tell us to do. But the difference is that firstly, you can quit your job if they're a bad boss. And secondly, they don't normally beat you up, <laughs> hopefully. And so we... Have, a, have choices there where we otherwise wouldn't have. But when we submit to authorities that we're supposed to submit to, then we know that we are pleasing God. Question seven, why did Jesus compare a Gentile woman to a dog? That's another situation where it's good to read the rest of the passage. What happens is Matthew 15, a non-Jewish woman, so that's a Gentile woman, goes up to Jesus and says, hey, would you please heal my daughter? She's very, very ill. And here's how Jesus replies. He says in verse 24, he says to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, that's true, Lord, but 
Even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. It's a terrific story, isn't it? He compared that woman and all the non-Jews at the time to being a little bit like an animal who's not served up the food. You know, we, we've got two dogs and they would really love to sit at seats and have little little plates and knives and forks and you know no all you're going to get are the scraps when they fall on the ground that's as good as it's going to get for you and that's ironically that's the kind of way that Jesus saw it initially that it was his own people who would sit around the table and the rest of us would be like dogs on the on the floor interesting isn't it but we see situations like this where those who are not within God's kingdom are actually welcomed in and given equal rights in that sense and it it's a shadow of things to come that we see fully happening as Jesus rises from the dead and as the gospel goes out after Pentecost. So that's why he compared her, and in fact all Gentiles, to being a dog. Question number eight, three to come. Why didn't Apollos write anything in the Bible? Apollos was an important leader at the time. He probably wrote stuff to churches, but it turns out that the Holy Spirit did not choose for any of his letters to be part of the Bible. And why is that? Oh, I don't know. Uh, but we do know that everything we've got in the Bible is everything we need to know from God. We don't need the first letter from Apollos to the church at, you know, out back. It, we've just got everything we need already. Question nine. Why is it not sinful for God to cause natural disasters? Well, of course, God never sins. So that's the first thing, of course. But I guess the next level is why is it not wrong for God to cause natural disasters. Well, God made this world without disasters, but humans have rejected him and that has broken the whole world. It's kind of like when you have something that's very important to you, like a, like a, a beautiful glass bowl and you drop it and there's this crack in it and it never quite works the same again. That's what the earth is like ever since the moment when we said no to God. And whilst God is in control of everything, we need to take responsibility for this broken world because we rejected him and we rejected his rule over us. And that's something we're going to hear more about in the second box of Two Ways to Live because today we're looking at the first box in Two Ways to Live, which is all about creation. Finally, question 10. When the New Testament says Jesus is Lord, do they mean he's Yahweh? Well, in the Old Testament, you'll often get bits where it says Lord, and it's in capitals. Have you noticed that before? L-O-R-D. And you're thinking, why are they doing that? Do they keep getting their, their keyboard jammed? No. It's actually because it's translating the official name for God, which they didn't actually say out loud. And that is the name Yahweh, or something like Yahweh. The question asks, when it says that Jesus is Lord in the New Testament, is there actually a connection? Well, it could be that it's not the case because the word Lord can just mean master, like slave master. But it does seem likely that in the New Testament that the writers and the early church recognised Jesus was in fact the Lord, Yahweh. And so you see that, for example, in Acts 23 verse 11. It says, that night the Lord appeared to Paul and he said, be encouraged, Paul, just as you've been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Thanks for your questions. I have no questions up my sleeve anymore. The bowl is empty. If you want to ask some, 
ask away and see if we can get to 10 for next week as well. Uh, now it's time for us at this point to have our prayer time.